As you know, the Germans are my second favorite people. And uh, my first is everybody else. (laughs) 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 Even the Germans like that joke. Welcome, everyone, to the Gravity Beard Podcast. We're recording today in Studio A. Thank you, as always, to our listeners. We appreciate your continued support. Okay, let's begin today's show. Ivan is with me as well. I would not have bet he would have agreed to come on once, much less twice. But last episode, we ran out of time, so he's been nice enough to return. Please join me in welcoming back to the show, Kinky Friedman. Kinky, how are you today? What exactly is Ivan's function in this, Chris? He's the talent wrangler. Spiritual advisor? Yeah, both. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, talent wrangler. Okay. Well, that's, that's a, tough to be a talent wrangler. I've tried that. In preparing for this interview, I read that at one point or another, you identified both as a Republican, Democrat, and an Independent. Walk us through that a little bit. Well, we... Um, you know, what was interesting about that 2006 governor's uh, race was that uh, we won that race every place but Texas. And uh, that is really true. I mean, uh, nobody gave a hoot about Rick Perry or Chris Bell or Grandma or whatever those people were. But they followed us from around the world. I mean, it was, uh, and of course, that did us absolutely no good. Well, we got close to 700,000 votes. For an independent candidate, that's very hard. Looking at it in retrospect, if I could have been a Crip or a Blood, I should have. <laughs> yeah. Because the Crips and the Bloods would make the thing impossible. So which one would you have done? Oh, I I, I don't know. Look, looking back on it, uh, today yeah. I would have definitely uh, been a uh, Republican. Yeah, okay. Not a Republican or an independent. Well, I'm an independent anyway. Sure. But uh, that is uh, kind of the... That's what uh, the world has come to here. Just a the the Frank Sinatra arc that I spoke about earlier is really what I think a lot of people do, and I'm certainly one of them. That um, you start out very much to the left, and you spend the rest of your life moving closer to the right. However you cut it, it's all politics. Uh, and uh, my definition of politics is poly means more than one, and ticks are blood-sucking parasite. <laughs> <laughs> that has not changed since Mark Twain and uh, Will Rogers were walking this earth. Well, in, in talking to you, you strike me as a person that would take a bit of a buffet approach, which is you use your own common sense, and you're an individual, you can think like one, and therefore you you take the best of, of each one. Yeah. Uh, well, you can, yeah. I mean... Uh, Democrats have, uh, these aren't really Democrats. First mm-hmm. of all, I'm, on a personal basis, I've, I met Barbara Jordan a couple times, but I really knew Ann Richards and Molly Ivins. Those are three women who were real Democrats and Texans. And uh, that spirit has been lost. I don't think they would feel very comfortable being around uh, spiritual wimps, which, which are most of the Democrats and uh, these days. And uh, not not that the Republicans are great, but uh, but in this instance, uh, they have now managed to mock Trump, uh, just like they're a panelist on CNN or something. They have mocked Trump and put him in a special special fraternity. And Ivan, I'm not talking about a fraternity like you and I were in. I'm talking about a fraternity of people who are the most most mocked and harassed in the entire world, the history of man, probably Abraham Lincoln would be number one, and uh, number two would be Jesus Christ. Churchill might be in there, and then Trump would be in there. These Democrats have put him in that category. So if I see everybody mocking Ivan Edelman, I'm not going to jump in on it. That's not what I do. I would stand up for Ivan Edelman, even if it was you know, if Ivan was wrong, if everybody is down on him, I know that's just a basic tenet of Judaism. Because it's the it's the practice of the mocking that you disagree with. Yeah, yeah, or jumping on a guy when he's down, or picking on a guy, and that's all you can do is harass a guy that everybody else is uh, running into the ground already. We live in a reality world. Why not have a reality president? It does seem to be working if these people would open their eyes. But. Uh, 
you know, this has been going on for a long time. And you've got a Mozart's career reflects this really clearly because he was a big child star and his star as a young man, but his fortunes were waning when he died. He was not doing well. And so, uh, we, all of us, society buried him in a pauper's grave. That's the best we could do for Mozart. Uh, Van Gogh, as I pointed out, was even worse. This guy was, uh, I mean, really driven to insanity and uh, brilliant, undeniably brilliant. And you would just think that somebody would have wanted to invest in in some of Van Gogh's work during his lifetime, but that's not the way it, not the way it happened. Uh, Schubert was another one who wrote Ave Maria. Died with 12 cents in his pocket. Syphilis in his pocket, too. Didn't help. But uh, when you got... And, and, and that's not unusual. I mean, most of the great people like that wind up uh, where society has rejected them. Um, and and uh, Jesus, of course, is a, is a classic example. I was going to do an essay at one time on the failures that, that made the world, you know, that, that created everything that we hold dear, uh, from Jesus to, uh, to uh, John Lennon, to Churchill, those three, I believe, died thinking they were failures. I don't think Jesus was saying, this is exactly what we wanted, it's perfect, he'll be along any time now, this is going to be great. I don't think that's what he was thinking on, on the cross. I think he was thinking, how in the fuck did I get here? How did this thing spiral out of control like this? And where's where is Pop, you know, when you need him? Where is he? And, uh, concluding he ain't coming and uh that's it i mean jesus otherwise was jesus and moses moses were basically two good jewish boys who got in a little trouble with the government <laughs> that's a that's an interesting way to describe it okay so my second question about your political experience did you really want to be governor of texas not when i started out everything important starts out as a joke maybe Mm-hmm. But it became more and more apparent to me that we would have a very uh, things would be very different had I won. And I still meet so many young people and other people in airports, but young people who say the first time they ever voted was for me. And uh, it's uh, now I was recently in Oklahoma, who pretty well legalized marijuana in a lot of regards now. Who in the hell would have thought that Oklahoma would be more progressive than Texas? But it is. We've got the best, arguably the best cancer hospital in the world, MD Anderson, and no medicinal marijuana program. Whereas, you know, the two most progressive places are probably Colorado, which is a little bitty state. I mean, and they're already they're making billions. I mean, just financially, it's worth it. Imagine what Texas could do if it legalized pot and gambling. I mean, it would be a, just, just a king's fortune that Texas would make. Not to mention it's the right thing to do in both regards. When I uh, go to Vegas, I, I know some of the cocktail waitresses there at the Flamingo and some of the maids and stuff. Maids at the and, and cocktail waitresses, they own their own homes. I mean... Uh, what the amount of money we could have we could have paid for education, so we uh, you know would not be scrambling to do it. Um, would you st- would you stop at marijuana or would you legalize other drugs? I'm not hearing the last word. Was it? Uh, I apologize. I was. You're, you're moving to McKinney. <laughs> 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 no, I was uh, saying, would would you stop at marijuana or would you go ahead and legalize other drugs also? Uh, no, that that would be a very left view right now to do that. I, I don't know if that works or not. I, I really don't know. Sometimes you got to find what you like and let it kill you. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we move on to some Willie Nelson medical jokes? All right. This is really a rehearsal because I haven't done this in a, in a year and I'm working without a net. Uh, so that's the way I play in Europe when I forget something. I do it here too, but they don't get it. But uh, I forget something or fuck something up. I'll just go, fuck. 
and I'll walk over to where the Mexican mouthwash is, tequila, <laughs> have a shot, come back, and knock the thing out of the park. <clears throat> and the Europeans love that. They think it's performance art. Mm-hmm. They think it's all deliberate. Uh, the Americans, of course, know that it's not performance art. Uh, at, at any rate, so here are some brief. Since Willie's older, uh, he uh, has... Um, his jokes are more and more medical jokes. Almost every joke begins with uh, a guy goes to a doctor, okay? Because he's just, that's just what happens when you get older. Um, go to a doctor. So uh, the guy goes to a doctor. The doctor says, I got bad news for you. Uh, you've got AIDS and you've got Alzheimer's. And the guy says, well, at least I don't have AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a really deceptively good joke. Uh, a guy, uh, let me see, that's right. A guy goes to a doctor, and uh, the doctor says, I got bad news for you. I give you six months to live. The guy takes out a gun, and he shoots the doctor right there in his office. They gave him 20 years. <laughs> I, um, a woman goes to the gynecologist, and the gynecologist tells her no sex for you for six weeks. No sex at all. Uh, and uh, refrain from uh, sex. So she goes home and tells her husband, and the husband says... Um, she says, I can't, you know, can't have sex for six weeks. And husband says, why? And she says, well, um, because the doctor, the doctor told me. And the uh, husband says, what did the dentist say? <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, let's see. Uh, um, so a guy, um, a woman goes in for a breast exam, and the doctor says, this could be a little painful. Would you like me to numb them for you? And she said, sure. So the doctor goes, num, 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 And finally, woman goes in for an examination, full examination, and when it's done, she comes up to the doctor. She says, you know, doctor, with all due respect, was it really necessary to spend 45 minutes on, on the vaginal portion of the exam? And the doctor says, lady, who's the chiropractor here? Me? <laughs> and that's it. Those are the five medical. <laughs> I think those are ready for prime time. Some of them are, yeah. Some of them, I have not been including that in the act. I should, you know. Can I give you one of my own? Yeah. Now realize I'm quite nervous uh, sharing a Always joke. Always looking for new material, Chris. Well, I, I mean, I'm quite nervous sharing a joke with someone who's a professional joke teller, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that risk anyways. So here's, here's my joke. A man goes to a funeral for a cardiologist he knows. At the front of the room is a giant heart. The service is concluded by splitting the heart open and rolling the casket through it before closing it back up. As soon as the man sees this, he bursts out laughing. Surprised and offended, a woman sitting nearby asks him, Why are you laughing? The man replies, I was just thinking about my own funeral. I'm a gynecologist. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> it's not great, but it's... Uh, yeah. Well, I'm not a professional. <laughs> well, um, uh, Willie is a really... Uh, he could have been a great stand-up comic if he wanted to be. And, yeah. And... Um, but he he really uh, he had a I think a fascinating life and that the first half and it ain't over yet uh, he's really bulletproof but the first half of his life was was a failure I mean it was really you know all these uh, he was a scoundrel you know he would leave his uh, wife and uh, starving kids in a trailer park and he'd run off with some other somebody else some other woman and. And and the songs, you know, everybody knew he was a great songwriter in Nashville, but they, you know, they couldn't get he couldn't have a hit himself at all. And uh, it was really, uh, and then success, which is much harder to handle than failure. Anybody can be a failure. 
But it turned out Willie handled success really uh, stunningly well. And uh, so now he is the hillbilly Dalai Lama, as I like to say. <laughs> That's not bad. But he's, he's been great. He's been uh, super helpful. And a lot of his ideas I have employed, one of them is when you get on a tear, don't take a night off. Play 30, 40 nights in a row, which I, I do. And I try to do that as much as I can. And, man, you hear Lenny Bruce talking to you and Hank Williams singing and Joan of Arc and Jesus. And, I mean, because you're, you're running on pure adrenaline. And when you do that without a band, when you're doing a solo show, any little nuance, you know, a little thing an audience will pick up on. If you're a little low in energy, they'll pick up on that. But it also makes for some uh, really raw, pure shows. And... Uh, I like to do that, and it's turned out to be a, pretty much of a financial pleasure for the kinkster. <laughs> and, uh, you know, falling on your face is still moving forward. Let me ask this question just about your style and your approach to your craft. Actually, two, two questions. The first one yeah. is, you know, I, I read the description from your Wikipedia page at the top of the show, and it mentions you've done all these things. You've written, you've done music, you've done comedy— do you, do you identify with all those things equally, or, if, or is there one in particular that you identify with the most? No, I think that's what they do if you if you didn't quite make it. You know, they come up with a whole bunch of different things. Uh, Jack London was the last guy who did that successfully. You know, he was a dishwasher and a bartender and a glass blower and whatever the hell else he was. Um, the people that do things are they're really rewarded in this culture. Ones who do one thing. Well, that's always been a problem for me. I mean, if I'm playing a show at a nightclub somewhere, they have come or they're interested in musicians. And so the people that like me culturally or spiritually or literary-wise, uh, they're not there. They don't even know them in town usually. It's just the music fans uh, who would be just as happy to, well, who knows? Um I do think things are do seem to be looking up, and uh, I'm a dangerous optimist. But which of those things? Which of those things do you find most fulfilling, or that that you enjoy the most? Well, right now, it's songwriting, um, which I stopped r literally 40 years ago because I was just the songs seemed to be going up in the ether. Some of that was my own fault for. You know, when you're doing funny songs like Waitress, Please Waitress, Come Sit on My Facebook, <laughs> you, uh, that's the new title. Uh, you, I, I, I don't know, you, you can't really mark, it's been now all this uh, uh, technology shit, which I don't do, uh, is really, um, you know, I, I don't believe it. I don't think. I think that uh, what's what's the what's the one called? Uh, name a few of those companies that chart records and do things like that. Spotify. That's oh, Spotify. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, about uh, a month ago, yeah, a little longer than that. Spotify picked uh, "Circus of Life," uh, my new record, as um, uh, one of their one of their what do they call it? Premier picks in the whole world. In other words, every CD, every record that came out, every uh, that week, Circus of Life was right at the top, and uh, which is remarkable, which is not hard to believe. I mean, if you've listened to Beyonce <laughs> and Miley Cyrus and who uh, did and uh, Taylor Swift, you can't tell the difference. Now, I certainly can't. They all sound. Uh, alike, and that's what they're trying. They're trying for a certain homogenized sound. And uh, same way with the country guys. What's coming out of Nashville's pathetic. I mean, there hasn't been a real song out of there in years that could stand up on its own if, if it wasn't overproduced in Nashville. And, you know, I I mean, I was there when uh, Christofferson was the most talented janitor in Nashville. <laughs> Gotta remember that. Mm-hmm. Now Chris wrote some songs that are just magnificent. They're just great. And uh, he couldn't do it now. I mean, that that is the amazing thing, that at 73, I'm able to write this stuff. Because I have, 
seven or eight brand new ones that I think are better than what's on Circus of Life in some regards. But Circus of Life has really struck a chord. And I do think that pendulum is swinging back our way. I think there's a lot of young people. Uh, I mean, older people couldn't stand it. Can you guys listen to top 40 country music? Every song is about tailgating and having a party. And no, no right, certainly not. Beers and the, you know, I mean, it's just a, it's horrible stuff. It really is. Somebody's buying it. I mean, millions of people are buying it, apparently, but I think that's about running out. I think it's kind of slow 14-year-old girls, maybe, that would buy it. I mean, I can't imagine any adult American listening to that shit. And it is shit. I mean, it's really... Yeah. Uh, but it's made a fortune for its, some of its purveyors. Same dozen of motherfuckers coming out that, you know, but but they don't appreciate the idea of a song. Uh, certainly, I, I don't know. If the pendulum is swinging, as I think, that stuff is going to be uh, out of favor soon. And uh, that's why I'm called the Leonard Cohen of Texas. <laughs> Fortunately, there's a couple of acts like Chris Stapleton or Sturgill Simpson. Yeah, there will, there will always be an occasional one to slip through, but right. look at all the mountain of shit all around him and on, on top of him and everything else. So you got one guy who seems to have some kind of an independent you know, sound. It's the same thing in politics. I mean, if right. you're going to go buy into the Crips or the Bloods, uh, that's the real reason I think that we couldn't win in Texas because you need just a fortune to to be able to beat the Crips and the Bloods. They're all about beating each other, right? And uh, you know, a few months before the election, I I was beating the Democrat. I was had twenty six percent, which is a huge amount in a big state like Texas uh, for an independent. We have only had one independent win, and that is Sam Houston. So you're going back away. <laughs> And uh, that was the guy that they threw rocks and tomatoes at eventually mm-hmm. when he tried to run as an independent. So Democrats haven't really changed. And uh, Republicans can be pretty tedious, too. But uh, I just think that the the guy who preceded Trump uh, was really uh, a guy who who did very, very little, and uh, didn't, it's not exactly a profile on courage. And so, I mean, it's almost a forced Gump of all presidents. What do you mean specifically by that? I mean, Obama ran at a time when uh, good old Jew boy David Axelrod figured out that if he could get Obama over the hump because he's clean-cut and he's uh, very articulate and he's, you know... He, got the gift of gab, he can, uh, you know, fit in, say things, and, and uh, get away with it. And people think, oh, this is great, we've got a black man we can elect, you know, first black president. And it's just unfortunate that it, it was him and it wasn't uh, someone like Barbara Jordan who really had something to offer. Uh, that, that's what I think, yeah. And I could also say that he's, Obama was very anti-Israel, and, uh, you know, not everybody cares about Israel, but a lot of Christians do. Mm-hmm. The Jews are so perverted that, you know, about half of them still think Obama was great. And because they're set in their ways, we're creatures of narrow habits. They voted Democratic all their life. I mean, the blacks are waking up to this. You know, that's why Trump's support has doubled. If it goes up any higher, he's going to be a lock to win it next time. Well, if I understand what you're saying and I certainly don't want to put words in your mouth, it sounds like electing Barack Obama as the first black president, if that's what you're saying it was, that it was a bit of an empty accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah, It was a fact that he was uh, half black, half white. And, of course, I mean, you know, this is an involved point. Obama's father ran away. His father was a real scoundrel. Everybody but Obama agrees with that. There's nothing wrong with him standing up for his dad. But his dad left him when he was two years old. And uh, I don't, I'm trying to think of any really gutsy, courageous move that Obama made. I've already seen a bunch of them that Trump has made. He wouldn't be given credit for it, of course, but 
The people of Israel know that. I mean, they've had four or five presidents in a row pledging to move the embassy to Jerusalem, which is important, if only to establish that every country in this world should be able to tell have their fucking embassy where, where they want it. If, if the host country, I mean, if Israel approves, and, and if the country wants to move it, they ought to be able to move it. And uh, fucking Trump meant what he said, and he moved the embassy to Jerusalem. And the world did not explode into a fiery uh, you know, conclusion, as every, all the experts had told them. So it's not just Obama. I mean, Obama's kind of like Eisenhower as a president. Eisenhower was a great general, if he was. I mean, Churchill was the guy who actually won that war. I don't think there's very much question about that. But uh, but Ike liked to play golf and ride in his limousine, you know. <laughs> and then that's exactly like Obama. Mm-hmm. He liked to do that, too. And, uh, you know, the, the great ones, uh, James Foley, that guy, the journalist, who they beheaded on, uh, on video, uh, that was a guy that had been captured. That was the one that Obama was back in his golf cart exactly clocked at 18 seconds after he said some really insincere statement about James Foley. But uh, James Foley's father uh, was aware that Foley had, uh, he was a real journalist, something that you don't find anywhere. Very difficult to find one. But uh, he, uh, Foley's was kidnapped at one point and held for a year or two by terrorists and escaped. And he came back to the States on a visit and told his dad that he was going back. Uh, and his, and his, you know, his father said, how can you do that, son? You were kidnapped once already. You know, I mean, you just can't, you know, and, uh, Foley said, um, but, oh, his father said, why are you going back there? How can you do that? You know, and, uh, Foley says, why does a fireman run into a burning building? Mm. That's the answer. And uh, so, uh, you know, Obama is what he is. And, you know, it's his, his best friend is a fucking idiot, that mayor of uh, Chicago. What's his name? The red uh, Alzheimer flags. Emmanuel. Rahm What's his name? Rahm Emanuel. Yeah, Rahm Emanuel, yeah. Disgrace to the Jews, should be. But the Jews are mostly, you know, in New York and California. I don't know why that is, but they'll they'll vote in lockstep. Uh, maybe some of them are waking up. But uh, I mean, uh, Trump pulled us out of the uh, Iranian deal. You know, the, a deal that nobody can understand why we did it. Which is a stupid thing to do. And uh, that's the tragedy of life. Is that the closest that we've come to understanding it is uh, Roseanne Barr. She knows that uh, Valerie Jarrett was, uh, you know, Valerie Jarrett's half Iranian, mm-hmm. half black, I think. But we don't look into that. Why? Why are we doing so much for Iran? She's kind of a Rasputin, you know. She's the one you never see. We don't know what taxpayers have paid her to be the secret special top advisor to Obama all this time. And why in hell we would do that deal with Iran? I mean, you're following Obama and John Kerry? Got to do better than that. Not that the Republicans haven't been full of shit over the years, but (laughs) Lincoln was a Republican. Lincoln might have been the greatest man this country ever produced. And so anyway. All right, gentlemen, uh, been a wonderful experience. Uh, But uh, then again, politically, politics are so fucked. And... uh, so corrupt that probably if uh, the three of us were, you know, were in office for 30 years, we would be corrupt too, wouldn't we? Yeah. Probably. Probably. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not trying to be some sanctimonious son of a bitch. That I'm, I'm just telling you that being able to inspire is very important. And, and, and actually somebody who, who is not afraid, who can grow in the office. And that, I guess, is the biggest disappointment. Uh, uh, about Obama, just is that he ran as an agent of change, which is always good. And he, in eight years, pretty well proved himself incapable of change. I mean, that's what he couldn't do. 
Now, that was just, it wasn't in his DNA. So he was a good little uh, Democrat. Followed whatever, whoever was pulling the strings. He was a good, good, not, I don't know. I mean, somewhere there's a bunch of people who think he was great. And frankly, sadly, they're mostly Jewish. It sounds like you're hinting at that our, our time should wind up. Well, my time's almost up. You guys are young. Well, I don't know. Ivan, I look up to Ivan for wisdom and advice. <laughs> Ivan, do we determine that I'm a little older than you or you're a little older than no, me? No, I, I just turned 75 in August. Mm-hmm. Well, I look up to you for wisdom and advice. <laughs> Good. I don't want to take too much more of your time, but the only other thing that I wanted to talk to you about was your life and career spanned some of the most interesting times in modern American history. And because of that, I wanted to ask you just to share just a couple of your more memorable experiences. Would you take a few minutes and do that? You know, I've been pen pals with uh, Bill Clinton and uh, George W. Uh, for many years. And um, and I've been to the White House, stayed at the White House. Um, as I say, I've, uh, I've slept at the White House under two presidents. Uh, but... Uh, but they're both, uh, at least uh, Bill, I don't know these days, but uh, but he was great bec- uh, at the time because the first thing he asked me was about uh, Steve Goodman, the, the folk singer who wrote City of New Orleans. And uh, Bill's a genius, uh, a bright guy, and a funny guy. And uh, W is a funny guy. I mean, I think this television is not his medium. He doesn't like it, and he's not comfortable with it. But uh, just as a funny, quirky guy, I mean, he would say that that's what I'm like. I think that's what he's like, too. And uh, he's a good one. So, um, I don't, you know, I'm, I guess it was too much to say I'm a Republican. I'm not, I'm just, I just don't think the Democrats today are, are real Democrats. I think when you have great Democrats like Sam Rayburn and Harry Truman and uh, the, the three gals that I mentioned, Barbara Jordan, Molly Ivins, and Ann Richards, when you have that kind of spirit, you really, I mean, these people walking around thinking they're Democrats are, are not really Democrats. Can I ask you about just a couple of things from, from your career? Yeah, I'm trying to think of something I did. Playing the Grand Ole Opry, um, first time I did that. And the uh, second time again with uh, with Dobie Gray, who sang Drift Away. And I believe he might have been the first black on the Opry, other than the, the regular uh, guy, D. Ford Bailey, who played the harmonica. Um, Dobie might have been the first star that uh, appeared on the Grand Ole Opry stage. And, and it was Richard Kinky Big Dick Friedman that brought him on with me. <laughs> well, uh, so much for me being a fucking racist. But... Uh, but when I was uh, called a racist, was a, I think I'm one of the first guys that was. I mean, called a racist in a in a political campaign. Uh, you know, like the Dallas Morning News had a headline: "Is Kinky Friedman a racist?" Of course, there were. You know, I mean, uh, everything from the Peace Corps to the, the picketing and all that stuff. Everything I did, so a lot of it was far more progressive. I said, then, then the other candidates. Mm-hmm. But you start talking about that, and you're off message, and uh, so forth, and, you know, you get paranoid about it. And, uh, you know, fuck them if I can't take a joke, you know. Is it true that your appearance on Austin City Limits never made it to air? Yeah, no, I don't think that's airing. <laughs> uh, I think they sent it out as a Christmas gift to subscribers or something. It's, it's really pretty tame. I looked at it fairly recently it's good i mean but you can't imagine why would they not air this at the time i thought it was god they're killing lenny bruce you know that's it they're destroying us this was our big break and but uh really there's a great book out a biography uh called uh, uh, a biography written by mary lou sullivan uh, in connecticut i think it's called uh, the life and times of kinky friedman yeah no, it most and certainly it, is. I have a copy of it. It's in the sub. The oh, subtitle, yeah, the subtitle is called "Everything Is Bigger in Texas: The Life and Times of Kinky Friedman." That's right. And this this uh, lady has written a, 
a book that only, this is her second book. Her first was a, a book on Johnny Winter. Uh, and uh, this one has done very, really well. And I, I was, I had to read it to whatever, to approve it or something, or see if it was accurate. And I didn't want to read this shit. I mean, I'm a guy who does not want to hear my music, and I don't want to read about, you know, failing in Nashville and what I consider failing anyway. Uh, and as I was reading it, I was amazed at how naive, I don't know naive, but, uh, you know, to, to think that you could have a band, Kinky Friedman of the Texas Jew Boys, that could ever be mainstream, that could ever be successful commercially. And uh, we did. We believed in that. I mean, we believed that we were going to make it big time. And that was kind of a poignant, quixotic uh, uh, theme in the book. And uh, she did a really good job by putting, uh, there's about six people that she keeps going back to, back to the well, who remember anything. Like, I've forgotten the first half of my life. You know, I couldn't, <laughs> I'm not a good person to interview if you want to know about the old days, but apparently I was there. So she didn't write this book in cooperation with you? No, not at all. Interesting. But you did write the foreword. I wrote the foreword. They asked me later would I write the foreword, and I think the foreword is probably the, uh, probably the, one of my greatest literary accomplishments. <laughs> <laughs> well, do, do you remember how you started the foreword? No. How did it start? What it says is, is it says... <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I haven't read this book. Don't get me wrong, I hear good things about it. I'm sorry, I hear great things about it, but I'm currently on page 907 of Winston Churchill's A History of the English-Speaking Peoples, and I could go into a diabetic coma at any time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the book, um, I forgot that, yeah. That's quite quite witty uh, introduction, and and, uh, Bob Dylan's quote on the cover is spectacular. It is, I agree. I mean, you know, isn't that strange? I, I think it's just a strange group of people to have. All of them, by the way, have been bugled to Jesus by now, except the Kingster. <laughs> yeah. Lead Belly, Woody Guthrie, Lightning Hopkins. Apparently you vacationed in a remote village in Mexico with Bob Dylan. Uh-huh. Well, I am defined by the fact that I can't get out of my own way. <laughs> and there's a lot of people like that, I think, in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, maybe I've been watching Matlock too much. And maybe I, Willie's right. Maybe I need to turn him off. Yeah. But I had great success in the one space that I turned him off when I wrote those songs. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, it's obvious. I keep going back to the Glenn Campbell Alzheimer's thing. I mean, there's stuff like we all forget stuff, right? Like, you, you, I mean, you forget the name Richard Nixon's first name, you know, that it was Richard. <laughs> right. Of course, he, mine is Richard Kinky Big Dick Friedman. That's my full Christian name. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I think things are going pretty well. I don't know, uh, for, for that sense, uh, I mean, people who can inspire, uh, like Willie, like Bob Dylan, uh, Merle Haggard was one. Levon Helm was. Uh, Chris has that ability. Um, Billy Joe Shaver has it. You'd be hard put to find other acts, though, that really have an inspirational value. Maybe it's just that people like the old geezers and they know they're not going to be around forever. That could be. I don't think so. I think there's something there that you know, you can walk out of a Bob Dylan show, and he can be out of tune and fucked up, and every like a Christmas turkey, you know, and and, and still you feel something there, you know. God, man. I was going to ask this question earlier, but now I'm going to ask it for a different reason. You're an unapologetic truth teller. I try to be. You're not a provocateur just for just for the sake of it. No, but I got that tag. And the humor pretty well killed me. I don't think... Well, listen, Kiki, my, my theory on that is that the average... The, the mass public has a, a very simple mind, and that's that's why it got misinterpreted that way. But after talking to you personally, it sounds like your goal is... Now, now you do it in a way that people would consider edgy or shocking or whatever, but it sounds like really what you're trying to do is 
is communicate truth the way you see it and to have people walk away from your performance, whether it's music or comedy or whatever, thinking about something, using their brain. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's, um, I've been cursed to be born a serious soul. Nobody takes seriously. That's a (laughs) Joe Shaver song. But, uh, yeah, I, I would say all that, uh, all that's true. If I'd stayed with serious stuff, then I think, uh, there's songs that I've written that would have been really a big hit. And today, of course, that's impossible because they're not looking for a, a big hit song. I mean, there hadn't really been a good song like that in a long, long time out of country. And the artists are not successful. Even Willie doesn't sell many rec- records as far as he used to do. And, uh, and the rest of them, you know, you got some great, you got great artists. Uh, mostly, I mean, uh, you know, Lyle Lovett, uh, Jerry Jeff Walker's a guy who can hand him a guitar and he can deliver a song that somebody else wrote better than the guy who wrote it. And uh, that's unusual. And so, who knows? I'm uh, I'm enjoying myself. It's fun being on the road. And you got uh, the other problem. I think uh, the thing I'm very proud of is an ability to write songs like the ones on Circus of Life at my age. Mm-hmm. You'll find that most artists. Um, Kurt Vonnegut's a good one. He tried to write a novel in his seventies and. It was pretty tame. Another one is uh, Charles Bukowski, the poet, whose poetry when he was young and fucked up was brilliant. And when he tried to write later in life, it wasn't. And um, I remember even Jerry Jeff, when he got older and he started writing about being married, jogging with his wife, (laughs) feeding the baby, (laughs) taking vitamins on. Nobody wanted to hear that. They wanted the old drunk Jerry Jeff. Sure. And... um, so I don't know. So taking 40 years off is a, is a luxury not everybody can do. And that's a nice thing now. I'm coming back to it, and, and the crowds are there. Places, you know, like California, uh, great crowds and, and really receptive. And uh, the East Coast, of course, have always done well. And so I can play in America. Texas is a bit dicey sometimes. Um but then Austin is a whole different helpline, you know. Austin, mm-hmm. they've seen everything, and they're a pretty blasé crowd. Uh, you just can't tell what you're going to get there. Uh, have you heard of uh, the Reverend uh, Horton Heat? Sure, yeah. Yeah. I'm doing a show with him in Austin. No kidding. Coming up in a, in a month or so. He's doing a solo gig, too, now which is about all you can do if you're going to be out on the road. I mean, if you're trying to support a band and you don't have a record label, and the labels are all dinosaurs, they're going out of business, and as are the uh, book publishers. So we're now at a point where we can uh, have more of a financial pleasure on a book or a CD if we just put it out ourselves on Echo Hill Records, on our little label. And... uh and we're selling a shitload of records that way. That's terrific. Yeah, yeah, it's really uh, it's good if you can get those guys out. Those the uh, and they are, uh, you know, nobody cares what label somebody's on, and they, and and all they do is screw you. So if they give you a, just a fortune up front, I guess then then you can sign with them. But otherwise, don't do it. So Circle of Life, your new album, first new material in, in four decades. It's been well-received. It's experiencing success. But are you hesitant to be optimistic about it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that record's really got spiritual legs. I mean, yeah. it's been more than well-received. I mean, check the uh, the Facebook thing or wherever they've got all these. These reviews are, are staggering. I mean, you know, I mean, they're saying Bob Dylan couldn't write this record today. And he couldn't write songs this good. Because he's, well, the real reason Bob and and Willie don't write albums that have 12 great songs on them, well, there might be one that's, but but really, they've each written more than 2,000 songs. And when you get to that level, anything you write is going to be a parody of yourself. So that's why they do so many stylistic records, like Frank Sinatra or Caribbean bebop or whatever, the, 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 you know, different kinds of stuff. 
as opposed to being just pure songwriters. Um, at, at any rate, it's uh, it's rare for anybody in their seventies to be doing their best work. Sure. And another thing I've noticed: if I don't bring up they ain't making Jews like Jesus anymore, or get your biscuits in the oven, your buns in the bed, the audience doesn't, and they respond to the new stuff on the Circus of Life far better than than the other stuff. Interesting. I can only gauge that by them interrupting the show with, for at least three of those new songs. Uh, Me and My Guitar is one that gets them. Uh, a Dog Named Freedom is another one. And uh, Jesus in Pajamas, of course. Where a big guy in the back of the, the room in California stood up and said, Great fucking song, Kinky. <laughs> it was nice. <laughs> From the California. But... Uh, but yeah, I mean, shucking all modesty, I think uh, there's something magical about about Circus of Life. And it might be for the lonely beekeeper. That's possible. But it's already reached reached a whole lot of people. And that, that record finds you. You don't have to go out looking for it. I mean, if, if, if it's... I believe it'll find the people it needs to find. And, uh, and it... You can think, you can think and read between the lines of that record as you're listening to it. And that's not the trend today. The trend is a Florida Georgia line or something that just, you can't think at all when you're listening to it. That's right. Well, and you had mentioned that you'd, you've already written seven or eight more songs. Is this the beginning of something much bigger? Yeah, it, well, it'll be an EP first. But, uh, but there's stuff on, yeah, there's stuff on here that I don't know where the hell it came from, but it's all original and it's all new. So I'm not stopping. I, I just have to consciously be unhappy. If I can do that, <laughs> I've got something going for myself. Yeah. That may be tough for you to do because I can hear your enthusiasm about, it seems like Circus of Life and how successful it's been and you being back out on tour, you sound reinvigorated. Yeah, it's... Um, you know, I mean, everything has changed. That's all. There's not. In the old days, it was really exciting being in Nashville. You, you might get Charlie Pride or Johnny Cash or somebody to record something. And uh, now, I've got songs like "Back to Grace" on that record that I know would have been a country hit and back 30 years ago, 40 years ago. But we're not there. We're supposedly uh, more progressive now. And Whatever label we put on it, it's still the Crips and the Bloods. I mean, that never changes. And there's been a whole lot of lessons learned from uh, this uh, Supreme Court uh, nominee here. And I try not to be a humorless, constipated prig, you know. I mean, I have been a Democrat most of my life, and uh, that, it's meaningless. I mean, it is the Crips and the Bloods. Mm-hmm. So... The independents, you go around and talk to people, most people will tell me that they're uh, libertarians or they're independents. But when it comes time to vote and you run up against the machinery uh, politics, uh, that's where the independent loses out. So had I run in Minnesota or Vermont or places like that, I would have won. But it's too cold up there. It is too cold up there, yeah. And... uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty cheap. Well, I don't know. Minnesota is, is a cool place. But uh, yeah, Vermont, true. I was in Vermont training for the Peace Corps, actually, you know, a lifetime ago. I also think it's interesting that you can write songs about places that are far away better than about what you're doing right now. I think that's true. When, when I came back here, I wrote Wild Man from Borneo when I got out of the jungles of Borneo, when I came back. And when I was in Borneo, that's where I wrote Ride em, Jew Boy, which probably we should at least mention is the song that Nelson Mandela listened to virtually every night on his little pirate uh, smuggled tape cassettes that he had a little radio show he played for the other prisoners. This was on Robben Island. And he served 30 years in all, but four years on Robin Island. And most of this comes from Tokyo Seshwale, his uh, right-hand man, who was in the cell next to him, about hearing Mandela play this song, Ride Him Jew Boy. 
every fucking night as a sign-off song, kind of. And um, so he said, uh, Kinky, this is when I was on a book tour of South Africa, I think in 1996, around there. This guy said, Kinky, don't get a swelled head about this, that Mandela was a big fan of yours. You were, you were not his favorite singer. <laughs> that was Dolly Parton. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mandela was a real country music fan, and in a way, in a way, the fact that uh, it seems like a, you're in a Kurt Vonnegut novel. I mean, to think that I recorded that record, Sold American, with Rodham Jubo on it in 1973, and I guess most Americans, the song they remember is Get Your Biscuits in the Oven and Your Buns in the Bed, maybe. But uh, that wasn't the one Mandela picked. And uh, Rodham Jewboy is a, is a kind of a Western translation of an Eastern experience, uh, the Holocaust. And uh, it's one that, uh, well, I think it's one of the better ones I've ever done. And... Um, much of that, and I, and I, you know, you look at you look at a little foursome like Mandela and Martin Luther King and Jesus and Gandhi, and you you really see people that continue to expire to uh, inspire long after they've expired, you know, and um, and they do. I mean, man, if we could get somebody like that to run for office today, like any of those four, we would have something. Then the Crips and the Bloods would be. Uh, defeated but it's going to take something like that uh, anyway well onward through the fog you know as we say in austin well your your official website is kinkyfriedman.com the name of the new album is circus of life it sounds like you can find it just about anywhere it's your first new original material in four decades but it also sounds like it's the beginning of something yeah yeah the the new EP is going to be, I sense these new seven new songs. Are, I don't know where the hell this is coming from. I don't think it's divinely inspired, Chris, but uh, certainly, you know, it's hard enough just to write one really good song for anybody. Maybe, maybe it was being, uh, you know, in suspended animation for 40 years as far as songwriting. Well, I, I understand this, but it sounds like, you're very surprised at your age to be beginning a fresh new chapter of something. Yeah, I would agree with that. There's, there's no doubt about it. And, and there's more to it than that. I mean, guys like Towns Van Zandt and Billy Joe Shaver, uh, Guy Clark, Merle Haggard. Uh, those are some, I mean, there's some great songwriters there. So, um, I think most of us run out of steam when we're in our seventies. Um, Willie says that uh, performing for live audiences is, is a tonic, and uh, it keeps you going. And that, that does seem to be the case with me, and I'm I'm amazed. I mean, it's a privilege to be able to get out there and play any place I want and have a pretty full house. You know, I'm not playing stadiums or anything, but I, I never wanted to. Well, I'm happy that this is happening for you. I just have to remember to keep Matlock turned off, you know. <laughs> And I like the show, but, uh, well. Hey, Kinky, do you have any thoughts about Flat Earth? About Flat Earth? Uh-huh. Are you aware of the Flat Earth movement? Uh, only so vaguely that I couldn't have any any particular comment on it. I don't know. What does it believe? Obviously, the Earth is flat. There's a growing community of people that are in the probably hundreds of thousands at this point that believe that the Earth is flat. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, uh, I'm not going to, I'll pass on that one. <laughs> pass that on to the next uh, interviewee. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. Yeah, well, it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think Alzheimer's is kicking in. <laughs> the spot is Mexican mouthwash. And the yeah. kind I drink is from my own company, uh, Man of Black Tequila. And uh, which has not been a financial pleasure yet, <laughs> but uh, but the tequila is terrific. And uh, I always tell the audience, this is not your father's tequila; this is your grandfather's gardener's tequila. <laughs> <laughs> and man, it just 
does it is like it, it activates me. I, you know, I've always wondered what these guys like. Uh, well, I've asked Willie about this. He's pretty non-communicative uh, about this. But what do you what are you thinking about when you're singing "Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain"? Are you thinking about doing your laundry or hosing somebody when you get through with the show, or thinking of very mundane things, or are you thinking of people that you've loved? You know. I mean, as for me, uh, I'm a very lucky guy because uh, I've loved many people in my life, and, and I still do, including Ivan Edelman. Thank you. Not in a sexual <laughs> manner. <laughs> Not sexually, no. Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it's an index of the emptiness of my life that we can put <laughs> time into a fucking interview and still make a little bit of sense. Well, I but, appreciate uh, it, and I'm very proud of you. It's 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 fun. Things are looking good, and uh, just remember, if you're driving, uh, don't forget your car. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, Kinky, just being on the show is an enormous favor to me. Can I ask you for one more thing before you go? Yeah. Would you be willing to identify yourself in any way that you choose, and then and then just say, "And you're listening to, and you're listening to Gravity Beard." I'm sorry. And you're listening to Gravity what? Gravity Beard. Gravity Beard. Yes. Like a beard that you wear on your chin. Yes. All right, this is what I'm going to be saying. Let's see if I can retain these words. Uh, you listen to, this is Kinky Friedman. You're listening to Gravity Beard. Yeah, That's going to be it. Yep, just identify yourself however you choose and then say, and you're listening to Gravity Beard. All right, how about my full Christian name? Yeah, Go for it. Hi, folks. This is Richard Kinky Big Dick Friedman, and you're listening to Gravity Beard. That's terrific. Thank you very much. I knew I could do it. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you guys soon. I hope. Yeah, well, you've been on every possible late-night talk show, I'm sure, and, and many other places. You performed all over the world. You continue to do so. And now you've been on Gravity Beard. There you go. And this has been rather painless, I must tell you. It's been good. <laughs> Chris, Ivan, take care of yourself, and, and I'll see you guys down the highway for sure. Love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll see you, Kiki. Bye. Guys. Wow. I know. How about that? I know. Uh, so would you say this is one of the better celebrities you've had? Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Kinky Freeman is truly a legend in entertainment. He, he, he's a smart guy. He, he's very smart. I think that's an understatement. I think he's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, he really is. This was an absolute thrill. I mean, this is... This is <laughs> In my wildest dreams when I started podcasting, I would never believe, never, you couldn't convince me that one day I would have someone like Kinky Freeman on the show. That was amazing. It really was. Some, some interesting conversation. But the adrenaline from that is going to take a while to wear off. <laughs> good for you. And, and you're, you're getting good at interviewing and listening. You're, you're a good listener, I can tell. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, Ivan, thank you so much for setting that up. Clearly, it would not have happened without you, so I really appreciate that. Well, okay. I do enjoy it. Yeah, I most certainly did. Okay, well, let's finish up with some credits. We have a very fun Facebook group for our show, and we'd love for you to join us there. Just search The Gravity Beard Interns. Find us on Twitter by searching at The Gravity Beard. We are proud members of the Podfix Network. It's a terrific lineup of shows. Go to podfixnetwork.com for more details or search at Podfix on Twitter. Also, please check out Podfix Presents. It's a podcast from the collective minds of the Podfix Network. Chris Brayton from More Gooder Than and me are in the middle of our weekly NFL recap show. Listen to it on Apple Podcasts or any other podcatcher you choose. If you choose to support the show financially, you can do so in three ways. Just search Gravity Beard, all one word, at patreon.com or Venmo. Or search our email address, gravitybeard at gmail.com on PayPal. The music on the show is by Silent Partner. You can find them in the YouTube audio library for my good friend Ivan. I'm your host, Toph. You've been listening to Gravity Beard. It's what your ears want to be listening to. Adios. This was a podcast from the Podfix Network.
All right, you ready to record this? Mm-hmm. Ready to ready to recall Kinky Friedman? Yes. You are? Yeah. Are you awake today? Yeah, I'm awake. <laughs> you seem like you may be a little sleepy. <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. All right, just making sure. A man goes to a funeral for a cardiologist he knows. At the front of the room is a giant heart. The service is concluded by splitting the heart open and rolling the casket through it before closing it back up. As soon as the man sees this, he bursts out laughing. Surprised and offended, a woman sitting nearby asks him, Why are you laughing? The man replies, I was just thinking about my own funeral. I'm a gynecologist.